Thank you all for joining us. It's great to be back. So right now, I'd like to bring up Boaz Soifer, the CEO of Bewa RE Solar Systems. Thank you, Tom. And uh, thank you to all of our panelists and attendees. I'm really excited to be here with you today, to be back together. Um, I wanted to mention uh, we are commemorating Juneteenth this year. You've probably seen announcements from a few other solar companies and are, are familiar with what Juneteenth is, but in case you're not, um, it's June 19th, which is this Friday, and it's the anniversary of um, the reading of federal orders in Galveston, Texas in 1865, um, announcing that uh, black slaves in Texas were freed. And even though the Emancipation Proclamation predated Juneteenth by two and a half years, um, it, uh, <clears throat> emancipation wasn't enforced consistently in Texas. And um, Juneteenth um, marks the, the beginning of that enforcement. Um, so we are going to take um, a couple of hours as an organization um, to uh, partly educate ourselves and partly join the celebration. Um, we decided not to take the whole company offline for the day on short notice because um, you, our customers, have orders that you need shipped and delivered and, um, and work in progress. Um, so um, if we'd had more notice, we probably would take the, the whole day um, to again, educate and commemorate. Um, but uh, this year, we're just going to take a smaller chunk of time. So you'll see an announcement about that, but I wanted, to be everyone, I wanted everyone to be aware of it. Um, and I want to mention also that our DEI team that stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion um, is also brainstorming a lot of other initiatives um, in which we hope to engage the solar community um, and work together to build an industry that really is grounded in the understanding that social justice and environmental justice are two sides of the same coin. And um, we're excited to continue building that awareness. Um, yeah, so, so in terms of um, why we're here today, I'm super excited to talk about innovation. Um, and we have a really esteemed panel and uh, a lot of interesting perspectives on innovation, both in general and in solar. And uh, we use buzzwords a lot like mental models, but really this is about curiosity and um, being uh, open-minded about, or even embracing new possibilities. And, you know, as leaders in the solar industry, also role modeling that for our teams. So super excited about the conversation today. Thank you all again for being here. And uh, I'll flip it back to you, Tom. Okay, great. Thanks, Boaz. So before I bring up our guests, I, I want to set up the conversation we're going to have today a little bit more. Uh, for the last few months, we've been discussing very tactical topics, you know, you know on these town halls. Um, how to close sales virtually uh, was two weeks ago. We talked about the stimulus, how to get PPP funding, uh, and a lot of other very tactical things. But this week, we want to look ahead a little bit more, um, talk about the future, but also look back um, over the last couple months and, and uh, think about what we've learned. So Boaz penned a few article uh, or an article a couple weeks ago called Mental Models for the New Normal, and that was the seed for our discussion today. You know, and of course, 
we're all waiting, you know, uh, and wondering when things will get back to normal. Um, but this article asks us, you know, is getting back to normal really what we want to do? Is that where we want to go? Um, and so, you know, we've, we've seen pictures all around the world of animals out in urban areas, air pollution levels at decades low, uh, decade lows. Um, we've seen some positive aspects, you know, of stopping air and car traffic. And do we want to go back to, you know, pre-COVID business as usual? Um, you know, another example is, you know, selling solar on, you know, online, you know, instead of at the kitchen table, that's something that we're seeing a lot more of, you know, in our Amazon, buy everything, research everything online age, you know, is in-person sales, you know, the, the way to go anymore. So we're not out of the woods yet, clearly, in terms of the pandemic. Consumer sentiment is low. We're in a recession. We'll talk about these things. But now, is there an opportunity to rethink, you know, business as usual in the solar industry? Um, what mental models did we have before? What do we want to leave behind? And so to help talk about all these ideas, um, we, as Boaz mentioned, we have a great panel today. I'm really excited. Um, and I'd like to introduce them. So we have Vikram Agarwal. He's the CEO and founder of Energy Sage. And Jessica, if you would mind, please bringing people up online. And Jessica is in the back. She's our producer and she does a wonderful job. So welcome, Vikram. I believe you're muted. Um, we also have uh, Scott uh, Nunyan. He's the CEO of 17 Terawatts, a solar software company based out of Austin, Texas. Joseph Marhamadi of Ipsen. We have Martha Amram. She's an economist and CEO of uh, Glint AI. And we also have Ned Calder on the line today. He's uh, with um, an innovation consulting firm based out of Boston, uh, founded by Clay Christensen. And um, yeah, and I didn't mention that Joe is our only solar contractor on the line today. So we're going to try not to beat up on him too much. Um, but I'd like to kick it off with you, Ned. Uh, and I believe, Ned, you're muted. Um, Ned, you work, um, you work across industries um, as part of an innovation consulting team at Innosite. Um, you mentioned in, a, in our pre-call last week that industries and companies tend to get habituated uh, as well as do consumers. Can you explain what you mean by that and, and maybe give us an example? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, and unfortunately, there's 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 lots of examples that that we could talk about. Um, you know, I mean, it. You know, if you fundamentally look at a lot of companies, they're you know they're built for efficiency, not necessarily adaptability. Um, you know, and there's lots of reasons for this. Uh, you could point to capital markets and the tyranny of quarterly earnings. You could talk about cultural issues. Um, um, but there's a lot of factors that make it very difficult for companies once they get to a certain scale and size to, you know, evolve their model, um, you know, when the environment uh, around them, you know, changes. And, you know, there's lots of, you know, great examples. I mean, the famous ones of, you know, Kodak and, um, you know, and others where, you know, the technology changed, the customer needs change, um, you know, and they, they struggled to you know, evolve and, you know, and adapt. And, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, went away as, as new entrants who, you know, brought in new models were able to, you know, thrive and, and prosper. So that's a, that's a lot of what we see. And if you, you know, if you actually look at the, the data, the average lifespan on the S&P 500 has, you know, been going steadily down, you know, over the last 60 years. And I think, I think right now it's something like, you know, uh, 15 or, or 20 years versus when it was started, uh, it was more like 60, um, 
And I think that's a reflection of just a, the pace of change of technology and consumers' willingness to adopt, you know, sort of new models um, has accelerated the sort of creative destruction aspect that exists in our economy. Mm-hmm. Great. Scott, I'd, I'd like to bounce over to you. Um, and you're muted as well, just so you know. Um, but let's talk about the consumer for a minute. Uh, your, your company comes at solar from the, the customer experience angle. Um, what, in your opinion, has gotten stale uh, in terms of the customer experience? You know, what do solar and what do solar contractors often get wrong about the customer experience of going, going solar? What needs to change? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think sometimes when you think about the customer experience and for solar in particular, since it takes some amount of time, three, four months plus to go from contract to, to filing powering on, that it's sometimes convenient just to assume that if a customer isn't complaining, then they must be fine. But in fact, there's really a good number of these customers who aren't necessarily satisfied but they're also, they're also not gonna complain. And so in fact, four out of five homeowners we interviewed remember that installation commissioning process itself negatively. And this is important because for us in the industry, all these kind of, this entire pool of these, what we call, we, you can call these so-so customers, they're a lost opportunity for a good review or a lost opportunity for a referral. And so what really needs to change is to really try to increase engagement increases customer engagement but for companies in the industry try to be to be able to do that efficiently and at scale that's where the that's where they really need to embrace the digital channels and be able to embrace automation because that's what's going to really be able to make it efficient and also scalable okay vikram let's pull you in here um do you have anything to add to scott's comments um you know and it would be great to hear from you um about you know some of the barriers that you're seeing to change in the industry right now yeah uh, i think uh, first of all i think we're, as we are talking about the topic of innovation let's let's start with the fact that innovation is very difficult uh, no matter what industry we, we talk about. So solar is not unique uh, from any perspective. Uh, and it, it's difficult to, to innovate because I think we, we are creatures of habit. We get used to doing things a certain way, and it is very difficult for us to challenge ourselves to really think differently. Uh, and that's why I think sometimes you see innovation coming from outsiders uh, and uh, very, very few times that you see innovation coming from inside the industry. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, I really agree with Scott. I think that talking to consumers, talking to your customers is very important. Um, and and uh, I, I hear this sometimes that, hey, our, our, our team is talking to the customer. Our sales team is talking to the customer. They're not really talking to the customer. They're giving a sales pitch, right? Talking to the customer is really trying to peel the onion, really understanding what the customer is thinking about, why are they thinking about this, and really going down the five whys, if you would, to really keep asking, hey, if you're happy, why are you happy? And if you're not happy, why are you not happy? And then just keep digging and and find those reasons. And that will help us uh, with coming up with creative ideas. Great. So maybe there's a redefinition of what the sales approach is that companies should be thinking about. What questions are they asking? What data are sales gathering along the way that they can bring back and help inform the conversation about what the company is, how they're positioned or you know what, what their target audience is? Um, I'd like to throw out to our audience as well, please ask any questions. You can throw them in the Q&A. 
Um, and if our panelists, you know, want to follow up uh, off of one another, just, you know, dive right in. Uh, just let me know. Um, Joe, I'd like to bounce over to you from the, from, you know, as our sole solar contractor on the show today, uh, great to have your perspective. Um, you're very focused on the day-to-day of running your business, um, but you're also at Ipsen, you know, you're keenly aware of new technologies and systems, whether they be for sales, you know, as you, as you talked about on, on previous town halls. Uh, what do you feel are the antiquated aspects of the solar industry, you know? Um, Maybe business as usual isn't isn't working, you know, as it should. Do you have uh, any guidance you'd like to share uh, with other solar contractors? Yeah, I think there's a couple areas where we could improve. Um, the first one is the need for in-person site surveys. I think one thing that most solar contractors have learned in the last few months is that you don't really need an in-person site survey in every single case. So we've seen uh, with our solar proposal software, a solar graph, they introduced a a virtual site survey feature where when you sell a solar system, you can immediately send a link to the customer to perform their own self site survey. And that's something that they can do in about 30 minutes um, on their own time at their convenience. If you can go into your attic and you can take pictures, uh, you know, from the street of your home, you can do a self site survey and that can be enough data and information for the PV designer and a professional engineer to provide a permit set that's stamped, certified, and can be submitted for permitting. Um, so that's one area where you can save a lot of time, you can save money, makes the customer happy because there's less people involved in the front end and it moves the project faster. It doesn't work for everybody. You have some people with kids or that are older that can't do their own self-survey. Sometimes you have a flat roof where you, know, you really need somebody on site. But I think in about four out of five cases, most people can do a self-survey and that will save a lot of time and money. The other area where I think things are a little stodgy and we can innovate is the need for dedicated project managers. So one nice thing about Bodhi Scott software is it is sort of like a digital assistant or digital project manager, where if you connect it to your CRM, your customers can see what stage their project is at. That's something that traditionally solar installers have used a dedicated project manager for, who doesn't necessarily do designs or permits or interconnections, but just has a customer relationship. So what we've done is we've made our salesperson the point of contact. So they sell the job and then they're the one person that the customer can come back to with questions. Uh, They can look in the CRM and see what the status is, but then if they wanna ever log into Bodhi, they can see what the actual step is that their project is at Um, and lots, lots more information. So those are a couple areas where I think we can save money, speed up the project and inform the customer um, by innovating. Okay, great. Hey, Tom, could I uh, build on that one real quick? Of course, yeah. Um, I, I, I love the example about the, um, you know, not necessarily needing to do the in-person, you know, visit. I mean, I think it ties, Boaz, to, to your point on, on sort of shifting, you know, mental models. And, you know, one of the things that we see in a lot of industries that struggle with change is, um, you know, there's these sort of rules, norms, assumptions about the way things work that gets baked in. And maybe at some point in time, they, 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 were, they were legitimate, but then we forget, you know, the sort of underlying reasons why they were there and, you know, fail to, fail to question them. Um, and, you know, a lot of disruptions that you see is, you know, companies challenging those assumptions. And I, you know, I, I'm just reminded of, um, you know, the example or analogy of, of the automotive industry, where there was a very similar assumption that, you know, to buy or sell a, you know, a used car, you know, you had to see it, the dealer had to see it to be able, you know, to evaluate it, 
or the consumer, you know, would want to test drive it, um, you know, before they, you know, bought it. And so that prevented a lot of change in that industry, um, you know, for, for a long time. And now you see, you know, models like Carvana that, you know, do everything digitally, you know, you don't, you know, you don't see the car, you just see, you know, images and pictures of it. Uh, and they're getting a, a ton of traction. And it's really, you know, caused people to, to rethink, um, you know, that, that, you know, that assumption, um, and also to be innovative about how you design the business model around that. So in order to maybe allay people's feels, they've offered, you know, uh, you know, seven day, you know, no questions asked, you know, return policy. So that, you know, alleviate some of the risk associated with that. So, you know, this notion of figuring out, you know, what are some of the baked in assumptions to our industries and which ones are, you know, legitimate, which ones are illegitimate and how do we, you know, challenge, um, you know, them seems like an important dynamic. Great. Martha, I want to bounce over to you, but right before Joe, we got a question um, from Dave and he, he agrees with everything you're saying. You know, it's great for customers to be satisfied and engaged and same with Scott. Um, but what gets them excited about going solar? And I want to touch on education in a minute, you know, because that's a big component. But, but Joe, what, what gets your customers excited about the process of going solar? Well, I can tell you what, this is a sales pitch we've used since day one, but it's particularly relevant right now. A lot of folks, when they don't know much about solar and they're first coming to it, they think of it as expensive, uh, $20,000, $40,000. They don't necessarily know that it's an investment, like investing in a fund or in the uh, S&P. Solar is an untaxed stock market return with no volatility. That usually gets people pretty excited when we use that phrase, and it's particularly relevant now because of all the market turmoil and the, uh, and the downturn. Um, it's untaxed because it's savings on your utility bill. IRS can't go after that. It's a stock market return when you look at that uh, annual percentage and the payback time. And there's no volatility because as long as the sun rises every morning, you're getting the same return every single day. So for us, when we use that phrase and people and it clicks with people and we show them 25 years of savings down to the penny, that gets them excited, um, particularly in an economic downturn. So we try to frame it very practically. Obviously, there's people that have environmental uh, considerations when they go solar, which is great. But for a lot of people, most people, it is a bottom line decision. And so whether the market's doing well or not well, that's usually a pretty compelling uh, idea. Great. Martha, um, I'd like to bounce over to you just to, you know, root us in the present day for a minute. Um, and I, I'd like to, to have Jessica share uh, two slides that you, that you brought. Um, but can you, can you chat about these for a moment and then give us your takeaway about what, cons what, what solar contractors should be focusing on right now? And then we'll tie that back to innovations. Uh, thanks and delighted to be here with the fresh sheet of paper mentality. Um, so when you're walking into the home, what, do you, what should you expect in terms of the consumer mindset? Uh, this consumer sentiment indicator is a national indicator and tells you exactly that um, it's highly correlated with spending. So because consumers comprise 70% of the overall economy, watching this index is not only about the mindset in your home, but it is about a summary of all the noisy macroeconomic COVID environment in one indicator. Uh, it was released, it's released every month in about the 10th of the month. So in April, it plunged uh, from March to April. And then in May, it picked up a bit. So a lot of the headlines were, wow, it's picking up. 
But I think um, the real headline is, oh, it's pretty much the same. And that means when you walk into the home, the household is in what I call recession mentality. It's a noisy environment. Uh, they've got to prioritize. And investing is a second order priority to household budget today. So uh, as we think about the typical solar consumer, uh, the household with about 70,000 uh, household income per year is probably faced a job loss or ex is fearful they would. So this indicator says that's they're going to have a real hard time thinking about investment. Uh, so changing the whole solar pitch into a consumption one, save today, uh, would be a way to address this, what you see here from this index. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, and why don't you talk about the next slide and then, you know, give us your takeaways. So uh, as consumer spending uh, data is released, it's broken down by categories. And again, reinforcing the immediacy norms that we're seeing in consumers' brains, the industries like furniture and auto parts, those are maintenance and investment. And of course, those stores have been closed, but you also see that as stores open, uh, people are not flooding to buy better furniture. And they're actually, uh, you know, flooding online and think as we see uh, new uh, markets open across the country, we're seeing restaurants start to pick up speed. So when we're thinking about what they want to buy, if you track this kind of uh, categories, you'll see eventually consumers spending for their future, but we see a lot of immediacy today. So one of the ways you can poke into the consumer brain, and this picks up on the digital CRM, is through software and through uh, software tools, you can assure consumers of what they're buying. And so more and more about this is exactly what you're going to get. Or even before they've uh, bought solar, let's track your house during the sales process as if you were on solar. This is exactly what you're going to get. All those things cut through the noise that say consumers are out there uh, meeting immediate needs and suddenly saving money can become an immediate need. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Martha. Um, so we can stop sharing the screen now. And Scott, um, I'd like to bounce over to you. Um, this brings up something interesting you said the other day, you know, and you, you mentioned in five to 10 years, energy will be con consumer driven. And you talked about EVs and storage as examples, but you also mentioned that consumers don't really understand these technologies, you know, and there's a huge education opportunity here. Can you dig into that a little bit more and co how do co contractors get ahead of that curve? Yeah, so most certainly. So, for us, you know, for us here on the panel, for those on the call, I mean, we think about energy day in and day out. And but for the average consumer, especially the mass consumer that's going solar these days, we're, we've transitioned from those early adopters now more to, to the mass consumers as the industry. Those guys, they don't think about energy day in day out. They don't know necessarily what a kilowatt hour is, and they don't know the difference between a microinverter or a DC optimizer but they're really still happy that they have solar and that they are making an impact. And so really the key thing is to try to understand that people's relationship with energy is really not with energy itself, but with what energy makes possible. So with activities they do, places they go, people that they interact with. And so the best way to get ahead of this, of the curve is to do the great work with that initial solar system that you're selling, and then try to build that deep relationship with that customer. So that when that customer 
does ask, hey, what about those batteries that I keep on hearing about? Or, hey, I'm thinking about an EV. Do I need to install anything? What they will do is they'll just ask, come back and ask you and trust that the recommendations that you give are be, will be the ones that are best for them. And so that's where the solar contractor's expertise is really most valuable. Boaz, I'd like to pop over to you. Um, that, that whole mainstream conversation is one that we've, we've had a lot. You know, when is solar going to be mainstream? Um, but, you know, are we at the point where we're not just talking about panels on the roof, but we really are talking about a mainstream solar looking like a home energy management consultant, you know, an energy consultant? Um, you know, how are we going to know when solar is mainstream, you know, uh, until you, because it's now tied in with all these different things? Yeah, so I think there were already some great points made on this. Um, Scott was just mentioning um, how a solar contractor could become more of a solutions provider, and um, Vikram um, referred earlier to some other examples. And I think you know what what I um, think about when it comes to um, solar kind of converging with these other verticals is the, the crossing the chasm take that in order to go from early adopter to mainstream market, one of the things that has to take place on the part of the suppliers, right? That's us, um, contractors are suppliers of, of solutions, is figuring out how to package the, the products and services in different ways in order to solve different types of problems for different market segments. And um, I think we're starting to see that. I think um, the contractors who have already started offering um, high efficiency HVAC systems as a potential point of entry for the homeowner to start managing their building envelope and how they use energy more efficiently or more intelligently um, is one direction, but also smart thermostats and smart doorbells and iPhone apps that, that um, integrate multiple products in the home or contractors that are offering high efficiency lighting rolled in with, with solar all in one loan. Um, all of that is kind of an organic effort to package solutions differently for different kinds of stakeholders. And um, I, I do see that we're going into home energy management or, or building energy management as um, uh, the, the future market. And I think what changes solar from early adopter to mainstream is figuring out how the solutions that, that we offer address smart home and energy management as a whole. Within that though, I would add, there, there could well be space for solar contractors to remain solar specialists. Some, not all. Um, the, you know, when, when, a, when a market kind of stratifies like that, you're gonna get contractors and suppliers who integrate solutions and you're going to get suppliers who are expert in a specific part of that integration. And both of those are valid niches. Um, but as an industry overall, um, and, and there's another space we're getting into, sorry to, to um, sure. take a lot of time with this, but um, we're, we also have seen integration between roofing 
and solar. There are more and more solar contractors offering roofs and there are more roofing contractors offering solar. And um, an initiative like California's um, new home solar mandate probably will accelerate the trades getting into solar. And then we'll be thinking of the home's energy system, just like we think about its appliance package or its, um, uh, I, I haven't bought a home in a, in, or built a home in a long time, so I don't know what other packages I should refer to, but, but right. these elements that are thought of in integrated ways. So I think we're, we're in, that, in the chasm right now. Okay. Vikram, um, given, given what Boaz just said about, you know, the chasm, but also the need to educate, to, to put together all of these offerings, um, how does that relate to the relatively long period between when a consumer starts researching and then when they actually make a purchase? Is this something we should be worried about? You know, do other industries have similarly long buying cycles? You know, is it possible to speed up that cycle? Yeah, I think uh, this is this is where I think as an industry, if we could spend more time really understanding that customer journey, right? And every customer is likely to be different. There are, as you know, no two customers are alike. So really have to understand and say, hey, where are you in your shopping journey? What are you trying to solve for? And, and I think I'm parroting both Boaz and Scott uh, on these points to really understand. And I think as a solar company, sometimes we want them to buy our product right now, right? But the customer may not be ready for that. Uh, they may be more ready for the building envelope work to be done first, or maybe they want to, uh, their, their heating and cooling system is failing and they may need uh, to upgrade there. And their consumers are always in an information gathering mode, right? So if we can make it, find ways to really educate them as and when the consumer needs to be educated about those things, and when the time comes, consumers will make that purchase, right? So when they are ready for solar, we should be then ready to help them with, with solar. Um, and so on Energy Sage, when consumers are signing up to uh, get quotes for solar, we ask them, what are the other products you are interested in? And it's very exciting to see that these consumers are very interested in a broad suite of energy products and services. They want to reduce their energy consumption. They want to make their homes better. And I think as Martha, the, if you look at the economic cycle, people are now starting to live in their homes for much longer. It used to be we, it was seven year average home ownership and now it is going above 10 and closer to 13, 14 years. And people are really investing in their, in their homes for the long term. So right. this is a great opportunity, whether you offer those services in-house or do you partner with others? Right. You like I think I'll use an example of financial advisors, for example, if you talk to a local financial advisor, they usually have local partnerships with a lawyer, with an insurance agent, with with other professionals that a customer may need. So if the customer is thinking about, hey, I'm not ready for making an investment, but I need to figure out my trust, they can bring in their partners. Some larger firms have all that all those capabilities in house, large wealth managers. So solar industry may have to, again, think about uh, again parroting right. here how to how to solve the consumer's problem right martha i'd like to pull you in and, and talk a little bit about software you you and scott um what, what are your what are your thoughts on you know solar software you know and and handling customizations that are going to be needed uh just picking up exactly where vikram led off you know if we have the empowered solar consultant with the team of experts then what does that what does that person need at their fingertips 
And if you look at the utility bill, that's where Glint plays. We turn Glint, uh, utility bill data and utility bill PDFs into data. So we've seen a lot of bills. We know that you have to break apart the bill and look at how much of the transmission charges will be affected by solar, how much of the generation charges. That differs by utility. So now we're into a reduced bill impact. And then you have to think about whether they have a gas furnace or not. That differs by household. Then you have to think about their level of energy use. Have I already bored you with all the complications? The point is software makes that really easy and done. So we are turning the solar company away from a field sales operation to a solar platform that immediately provides customized proposals. And that means the capabilities of excellence in a solar company have to be more on the software level. And perhaps there's a layer of the industry that will generate this customized tools as an extension of CRM and so on, but it's gotta be data-driven, personalized, and as I said before, just turn this all into, I know exactly what I'm buying from the very beginning. This is exactly what I'm going to get. Because otherwise, we're not going to cut through and speak to the resident at hand. Yes, yeah, Scott, can, can you add to that? What, what do solar contractors need to be thinking about to make smart choices about their software? Yeah, so I think that's right. So I think um, our industry can kind of borrow the concept that's worked well in other industries. And that's the idea of a technology stack. And so the idea, the entire idea of a technology stack is that you're no longer trying to find that one software tool that does it all because the reality is those tools that try, they just don't do it very well. Instead, businesses that will adopt a set of different software tools or a technology stack to run their business with each tool being the best one for that specific task. So if you think about it, what that also means is that these tools they're no, they're, they must be able to communicate and integrate with the other software tools. So take, for example, Bodhi. Uh, we think we're the best customer experience platform out there, but we also distinctly know that we're not a CRM, project management software, or a proposal tool. There are better ones in the market um, than one we could ever build. And so what we've strategically done is built a whole set of integrations to support that ecosystems. And so, and what, I mean, if you talk to Joe, he's, I mean, he's a really good example of someone who's actually truly embraced the concept of a technology stack for Ibsen. Okay. Um, Ned, I, I want to go to you and I, and I want to try something a little bit different. Um, I'd like to have you, you to have a conversation with Joe here. And um, you work with a lot of companies on, on how to change and um, how to, you know, create new innovative solutions. So, you know, what can you take a, a similar approach, you know, just in a few minutes with, with Joe to talk to him about his business and think about, um, you know, how he might change or approach innovation at, at this time? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, happy to, um, you know, I think, you know, when we're thinking about specific opportunities, um, you know, it always starts with trying to get a deep understanding of, you know, the problem, you know, that we're trying to solve before we jump to what's the right solution and, how do we build and all that? So, um, you know, the places that I would, you know, really dig deep are, you know, one, really trying to understand, you know, what problem, um, you know, are we trying to solve, uh, you know, for, for the consumer? And we talked about that, you know, a, a little bit earlier in the show. And, um, you know, Ted Levitt has this great quote, quote that, you know, um, you know, consumers don't want a quarter inch drill, they want a quarter inch, you know, hole. Um, you know, the consumer doesn't necessarily want a solar panel, they're trying to solve some other fundamental, you know, problem, whether it's um, economic related or, 
you know, single signaling something to their community about, you know, their values. Um, but, you know, what, what problem, you know, what's the biggest, most important unmet problem that, that we could go after? Um, and then the second piece, you know, innovation is often about, you know, trying to overcome barriers that prevent consumers from, you know, adopting new solutions and changing their behaviors. And I'd be curious, you know, Joe's perspective on, you know, what have been some of the biggest barriers that, you know, you, you know, wrestle with um, when you talk to customers? Yeah, I think one of the biggest barriers is around permitting and interconnections. Um, it's very difficult to set good expectations with customers when uh, permitting authorities and utilities are constantly changing their rules uh, around solar and storage, which is a very new industry where they need to get comfortable and understand it. Um, so there's a lot of permitting jurisdictions we work with that don't quite understand solar yet, certainly mm. don't understand storage, and are trying to make rules that keep everybody safe, um, sometimes go a little too far, but they are always When we sell a job, and in D.C., being in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, many different counties, sub-counties, towns, hamlets, with all different kinds of rules, it can be difficult to set expectations around how long it's going to take, which is why I think it was Scott mentioning that uh, there's four out of five people are disappointed by those first couple of months of their solar project development. Mm. A lot of that is, is why. Uh, if we had everything in our hands from design to installation, it would obviously go a lot faster. There'd be a lot uh, fewer frustrated people, um, but it's difficult because it's a constantly moving target. And so we want to set expectations that are reasonable, but we also don't want to say it's going to take eight to 10 months to get your project done uh, right. because that's not compelling. So. I think that's the biggest thing that we face day to day. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, um, yeah, you know, I only have a passing knowledge, you know, with the industry and, and the challenges that you all are wrestling with. But it, but it seems like there's a, an interesting tension in this space that um, to cross the chasm, you know, you've got more and more consumers who don't want to engage with that complexity. Right. Um, um, and, and so, you know, in those situations, when you have that type of disconnect, um, the thing that I think we see that becomes really, really important is, um, you know, is this trust factor, right? Um, you know, they really need to be able to trust, you know, the person they're dealing with, that they're, they're getting the right solution. And that even though they don't understand why it's taking so long, like that is the, you know, that's the best that it can be done. Um, and so, you know, I'm curious mm -hmm. if you said that, hey, we're going to optimize, you, you know, the experience and how we engage with customers to maximize, you know, trust. You know, you know, what would we do differently? Um, or what could we draw from, you, you know, other things that we have in our life where, you know, there's a situations that requires a high degree of trust and another industry has figured out how to deliver that trust. What is it, what have they done? And could we adopt some of those behaviors into, into our business? Yeah, I think the one thing that I would love to do, and I'm still trying to figure out how to do, is to provide an estimated install date for every single customer in a system like Bodie where, it's changing depending on the circumstances. It's changing depending on how quickly we move or how quickly the permitting authority moves because that's what really what everyone wants to know. And today the way that works is someone sends me an email and says, what's going on with my project? Uh, where am right. I in the queue? And I tell them, here's the number of people in the queue. Here's the number of people ahead of you. Here's how many projects we're doing every week. We think it's gonna be five weeks. Uh, and it's very not automated. Um, so having something like that, I think would go a long way toward building trust. If you could say in the beginning of the process, here's how many projects we've got, here's how long we think it's going to take based on full transparency 
And then as things change, you can inform the customer based on changing circumstances and they can go see their estimated install date. I think that would build a lot of trust and I haven't seen that done yet, but I'm sure it can be done. Ned, we got a question um, in the chat channel and it says companies that vertically integrate have been a very disappointing experience. They got into inverters and it was a disaster. The jack of all trades, master of none idea. There seems to be a seesaw from unbundling to bundling business lines. I struggle with this idea of branching out and get pressure internally to expand our offering. What are the most important principles for making a decision on the line on this line of business? Uh, yeah, it's a good one. I mean, I, you know, I think you need to be, you know, have a pretty strong hypothesis on, on, you know, why that would be valuable. Um, you, you know, how does it create, you know, value from the consumer in terms of a better experience, you know, a lower cost offering, you know, a better, more integrated, you know, design, um, uh, so you really need to think through the, the, the customer side of that equation, um, you know, and then the other side is uh, I, I think you'd really want to understand and have a clear hypothesis on value creation from a, you know, a, a business model perspective. So does vertical integration allow us to change how we do supply and logistics? Um, you know, does it reduce cost in, in some areas of our business in, in some, you know, fundamental way? Does it strip out complexity of, um, you know, of the business? But um, you know, when you're evaluating those types of synergies, it's, it's really a question of, you know, value to the consumer and, and you know, value to the, to the business entity. Mm -hmm. If I could just jump in on that, yeah. <clears throat> that, that was a great question from Tayoko and, and, and probably you know that um, focused energy, which was what we were called before we were Bewa, was, was based on really limiting um, what we focused on so that we could do it as well as possible. And there's always temptation in this industry to branch into other um, product lines, um, new types of products, etc. And um, <clears throat> it's a discipline, one, to resist that temptation. But as Ned is saying, it's also really important to recognize when um, the value that you can create for your customer by providing more integration um, becomes a key differentiator. Um, and um, it's, it's reminding me of kind of going back to basics and Jim Collins hedgehog principle. And if you can identify what you're passionate about, what drives your economic engine and what you can do better than anyone else and work on things in the intersection of those three questions, then that might inform the kinds of choices you would make about um, how, you know, whether it's worth creating more complexity in your business. Um, so, so contractors who are um, um, more consultative um, are, as, as Joe is saying, learning how to set clear expectations with their customers so they can make promises that they can then deliver. Um, if that's a core competency and building trust is a core competency, that could expand into um, being the trusted partner that's providing whole home solutions. And, and I'm just fishing there, right? It, that, that's a question that each contractor needs to um, look at um, from their own hedgehog perspective. But I would go back to basics. And I think it's a strategic question, not a tactical one. 
Scott, I'm curious, and if anyone else wants to weigh in, um, but you told me, you know, that that solar is the gateway to the home energy system of the future, you know, and based on what Boaz just said, you know, it really seems like um, that that kind of positioning is something that that contractors really need to be thinking about. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree because, I mean, this is actually based off of really two main trends. First off is that there are more and more energy products and services that are becoming available to the consumer. You've got the batteries, but you've got smart panels, you've got home automation. There are many more products that are being already pushed to the consumer, and we saw that at SBI last year. But the second really um, interesting trend is the fact that who's going to really help them sort through them all? It's definitely not going to be the utilities who have a horrible relationship with their customers. So if the contractors have developed that trusted relationship with their customers, then they can actually fill that void. And consumers are then going to turn to them to figure out what type of battery they need or what type of EV or what is just best for them. Just like you had mentioned, in that consultative kind of uh, model, they're the ones that are going to be able to curate what, it's, what is best for that consumer. And so, for example, about um, when we were working with Lighthouse Solar, a regional installer down in, in Central Texas, we helped them re-engage with their customers. And, and some of the, for some of these customers, it was a first time in five years or 10 years. And many of the customers were like, oh, yeah, Lighthouse, they were great. Wait, should I do anything with my system? It's been five or 10 years. I mean, what about these other things I keep on hearing about? And so that just gives you kind of the sense of the opportunity that does lie ahead for these companies to turn from just a solar contractor into that home energy service provider or just simply the energy company of the future. So, Martha, any, any thoughts on, on target market, you know, and how to position your own company to make that target market larger? Yes, I've been thinking about this as we've been speaking, and we all know that Energy Sage has done a fantastic job at building organic content so that when you um, search on solar, lots of you know, articles they've written over the years appear. And that just helps educate the market from discovery through sales. The conversations we're having today have largely been, hello, I want solar. But if we shift to earlier in the sales process, how do I know I want solar? What can it do for, for me? It strikes me that a, a company can differentiate itself by being its local educator. And, um, you know, Energy Sage has given us an example. There's other ways to do it within your community that complement and enhance that. But then you're positioning yourself as the trusted guide. And as I hear trust, 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 and we know that in other industries, this digital journey is way more digital and has chatbots and points of confirmation to build trust. I don't see that in solar owned by the solar company. I see it owned by aggregators. Well, let's pull it back into the company and use our local expertise to build trust through marketing and enhanced marketing. Great, Ned, I'd like to pull you back in here um, as we start to wrap up and, and talk about what solar contractors can be thinking about as they evaluate their business. And I, and I know that you're not part of the solar industry directly, um, but you know, is there a point uh, in an organization when they need to be thinking about that next phase? Um, how do they know when it's uh, time to adjust the strategy and innovate? You know, and getting back to Martha's points about the recession and, and what's coming, you know, is you know, going into a recession a good time even to be shaking things up? Uh, you're muted, actually. Muted there. There you go. 
Um, so uh, maybe to take a second one first, I, you know, I think, you know, recession is a tough time to innovate, but, um, you know, has some unique benefits. If you look at a lot of the data, um, um, you know, on company performance coming out of a recession, um, companies that were able to sustain some level of innovation, you know, during the recession came out, you know, ahead. Um, and there's some pretty simple reasons for that, right? I mean, you can get, you know, a jump on your competitors, you have the opportunity to shape the new models that are coming out. Um, and so you really get some competitive advantage. Um, you know, the second thing that I think is, you know, important to a lot of this conversation um, is, um, you know, if you look at, you know, theories of, of kind of behavior change, um, you know, uh, Kurt Lewin, you know, one of the founders of social psychology, um, you know, has this theory that says that, you know, basically, you know, habits that consumers have get frozen in, there's some sort of external exogenous shock, there be, there's a period where those behaviors get, un, you know, unfrozen, and people experiment with new models, and then they very quickly get, you know, sort of locked back in. Um, and, and so a lot of what we're talking about, you know, may require consumers to be open to new models to adapt, um, you know, some of their habits, be willing to trial and explore things. Um, and it's very tough to do that, you know, in sort of a status quo type of environment. But the type of shock that we have right now is forced people to step back, question a lot of those behaviors and, and display a, you know, a degree of, of, of openness. Um, and so, you know, companies and contractors who can take advantage of that to trial new models and try different ways of engaging um, um, can get some benefit out of that. So, so I would say it's obviously tough, um, you know, uh, resources are, are fewer, you know, are not as available, but uh, if you can find, you know, efficient, focused ways of doing that, you can get some, you know, some benefits. Great. Uh, to, to your bigger question, I guess, you know, on, on you know, how you think about, you know, when to innovate um, and, and change, you know, I think there's a few fault lines that, you know, if you see, you know, cracks, you know, opening up um, uh, along a couple dimensions, it's, it's worth a, a consideration. So if you see consumer needs or behaviors changing, you know, I think that's important. If you see how the industry evaluates, you know, performance, that's important. If you see a lot of um, signs that the structure of the industry may be changing, so vertical integration, disintermediation, new non-traditional competitors coming in, all of those, you know, suggest that the industry may be at, you know, some sort of precipice, um, you know, for, for change. You know, and if you see, um, you know, fundamental changes in the business models, uh, in terms of, you know, how companies create value or the resources and processes that, that are required to, to be successful changing, you know, that also suggests that there's, you know, some sort of fundamental, you know, shift underway. And it's worthwhile to step back from, um, you know, the current model and, and ask the question, is there, is there a fundamentally different way to do this? Do we need to fundamentally, you know, change, change our strategy to be, continue to be, you know, relevant in that future world? Great. Um, Vikram, I'd like to come over to you and then and then start to wrap up here. But um, as we talk about change and and learning, you know, and cross sectoral conversations that need to happen, you know, who do you want to talk to? You know, where are you looking for inspiration, both in your business and in your own thinking? And you're muted, by the way. Yeah, gotta remember to unmute. Uh, thank you for that question. Yeah, I, I think. From our perspective, it's always, I think we've heard from a number of folks, this, you gotta be talking to the stakeholders, right? You gotta be, if, if the consumer is one of your key stakeholders, just really engage in those discussions and engage with our team. I think one couple of things that we do is we, we encourage the idea 
Uh, we are rolling out our company's values uh, this week to our team. And one of those is we are actually highlighting that we are an innovative company and we need to continuously think about innovation. And innovation, basically saying to our team, hey, disruption is fine. You know, we, we are fine. We, we need to think about innovation, even if it disrupts our current business, because we'd rather disrupt ourselves than have somebody else disrupt our business. So you never know where innovative ideas come from. I know we don't have the time to talk about the story of Energy Sage. <laughs> we pivoted uh, about eight years ago and we are what we are because of that pivot. But it was because of an off the cuff remark by one of my teammates uh, that resulted in us pivoting and creating this marketplace. So because we were brainstorming ideas on how we, what, what needs to be done differently, what are the opportunities? And just in the brainstorming session, somebody makes a comment and then that results in an innovative idea, right? So uh, talk to your customers, talk to your team, just have a commitment towards innovation, con continuous improvement. It could be Kaizen, um, small incremental change, or a very big change. Uh, just have that commitment and uh, hopefully uh, we'll, I'm so glad that we're talking about this topic. Uh, Great. Just have that commitment. The rest is easy. <laughs> <laughs> It starts there, right? Uh, I think Ned, Ned said, like, you really got to understand if there is a problem and what is that problem? And then solutions generally become easier. Uh, yeah. At that point. yeah. Great. Well, I want to start to wrap up here. And I want to mention that, you know, we're seeing these as, as the beginning of this conversation. Boaz put it when, when we all chatted together, you know, this is a prologue to this broader conversation about where do we want to go as a solar industry. So I really thank everyone on this call for taking the, taking a moment to share their thoughts and their wisdom. And, and we really appreciate you being the, the part of the conversation and in our community. So before I pose one final question to all of you, um, I'd like to ask Jessica to, uh, to throw the link to the, to the next town hall in the chat so people can go ahead and sign up. And we'll talk about, you know, how to, to create a diverse and equitable solar industry. Um, which is a really important topic. So before we say goodbye, I'm going to ask each of our guests to share two suggestions. The, the first suggestion is something that solar contractors should definitely look into and, and possibly adopt um, and something folks should leave behind now. So Vikram, why don't, why don't you kick us off here and you're, and you're muted again. There you go. Oh man, uh, Tom, do you mind just, sorry, I have a big truck in the background and I- Sure, yeah, I can. You. Scott, how about we go to you? Yes, sure. Okay. So the thing that they should adopt, I think all solar installers, energy, these, the new energy companies of the future, they should create and sell a post-install engagement plan. So for example, an O&M offering that turns a 25-year liability into a 25-year recurring revenue opportunity. And as a lead behind, I say, let's lead behind this idea of the solar coaster or the idea that there's all these external factors that buffet the industry and give us these excuses just not really focus on the customer so we just have this imperative to just be excellent in the face of what comes great martha what should we leave behind what should we what should we look into and you're muted too by the way uh, apologies. Uh, I really, really want us to focus on the value prop to the consumer and make that super clear. I worry that the target market has shrunk in a recession. So keeping the, the available target alive requires to be super clear about what you get as a consumer. And um, instead of talking about a leave behind for the industry, I want to say uh, my team is doing a big machine learning release in two weeks. 
and that is innovation during COVID. And it's the team is remarkably cheerful and steady. So I just wanted to comment on that spillover, that innovation is risky during these times, but it has all these spillover benefits too. Wonderful. Good luck, Martha. Joe, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm just going on the automation theme. Um, look into automating some processes that you might not have thought were automatable, uh, like uh, hooking up your CRM and your ERP to automate your accounts receivable. That's something we've done recently. So now when a deal moves to a certain construction milestone stage, sends out the invoice automatically, and we've automated our accounts receivable. There's all sorts of little things like that that are possible now that might not have been possible a couple years ago. Um, what to leave behind? leave behind the idea that things cannot radically change in the industry in the United States. I got to meet with one of Scott's colleagues a couple weeks ago. We spent three months in Australia and he reminded me that in Australia, solar is half to a third the cost of what it is in the United States. I want to repeat that. In Australia, solar is half to a third of the cost that it is in the United States. There's a great article that Green Tech Media posted a few years ago called How to Have the Cost of Solar in the United States. Things can change if this community bands together and demands it. And we, were, we will not survive unless we get to $2 a watt in a year and a half when the ITC goes to zero. So uh, we've got to look at big change. And somebody asked about what's going to happen with a new administration that's pro-solar. Mm -hmm. We've got to find a way to cut red tape to make the process faster, have more happier customers, and a lower cost. Great. Thanks, Joe. Ned, your, your two thoughts? Yeah, I mean, maybe related to, to Joe's to, to drive that sort of change, you know, I think the industry needs to have a, you know, uh, you know, a longer term lens, you know, on, on strategy and, and, and where it wants to go. Uh, it, it's, it's very difficult to, to drive, you know, change if you're thinking, you know, six or 12 months out, there's just, you know, there's not enough runway to, to really drive transformational growth. Um, you know, companies that are able to do it really have a clear perspective on, on, how they see the world changing over a five or 10 year horizon um, and, and then, you know, chart a path for, you know, evolving, you know, to some new model over that period of time. Um, you know, in terms of what to leave behind, I mean, I think uh, inspired by some of our earlier conversations, uh, you know, leave behind the assumptions, uh, the legacy assumptions about how the industry, you know, uh, you know, works that, you know, just aren't relevant to, um, to the current or future, you know, world. Great. Vikram, I'm, I'm going to go to you and then I'm going to pop to Boaz and, and say goodbye to everybody. Your two thoughts, please. Yeah, on the first one, I think uh, I would say consumer education and transparency, a commitment to, to both of those. I think they can really accelerate market adoption uh, for solar and reduce the customer acquisition cost. And one thing to leave behind, uh, this is a little bit more tactical. I'm hoping someday we'll get rid of 100% uh, commission only sales teams. That's just my small. Okay. Well, I, I'd like to say goodbye to everybody and then give Boaz a chance to give us his two thoughts and, and also say goodbye. But uh, we have Vikram Agarwal, CEO and founder of Energy Sage, the online marketplace. We had Ned Calder from Innosite, an innovation uh, firm founded uh, in Boston. Uh, Joe from Ipsen Solar, or Ipsen, excuse me. Um, Martha Amram, CEO of Glint, thank you for joining us. Scott Nunian of, of 17 Terawatts, really appreciate having you on the show today. And then Boaz, why don't we leave uh, with you, uh, give us your one thought on leave behind and, and look into, and then, yeah, say goodbye. Thanks, Tom. Um, and yeah, thanks again to a great panel. Um, it's really hard to follow a lot of other um, great thoughts about um, what we should keep in mind and leave behind. Um, so I'm going to just go really general. 
um, what I'd like to see is um, leaders in the solar industry asking how might we more consistently and, um, and leaving behind we've always. Um, and it's, uh, I know that, that everybody in the solar industry that I talk to wants to innovate. Um, and um, uh, I notice also that many people come into that innovation discussion with a lot of preconceptions. And I, I just really want to emphasize how important it is to ask really open questions like how might we blank um, and to encourage our teams to do that as well. Um, so yeah, in terms of wrapping up, I guess I just wanted to mention, I, um, sometimes I'm tempted to try to put a bow on a far reaching conversation. So, so I'm gonna attempt that a little bit here. Um, there were really two themes that came out to me in terms of kind of the, the um, threats and opportunities part of the SWOT analysis that, that were talked about today. And, and one was the convergence of various technologies and um, the opportunity to innovate um, in relationship to that. Um, and the other was um, building customer trust as something that we're, we might be doing better and better, but where we might also have a long way to go. And, um, and then in terms of the capabilities that support those two themes, um, software came up again and again and was even mentioned as um, something that contractors need to embrace and excel at or, or ha have as a core competence, which I thought was an interesting statement, I think, from Scott. Um, we also talked about segmenting the market so we can offer um, the right kind of education at the right point in the customer journey for the right type of customer and the right product for um, the, the right customer in their um, customer journey. And um, there's, th there was discussion about how we can use automation to support that, um, but also about how we need to think more carefully about how we create customer trust throughout the customer journey and think about the customer journey more broadly. Um, and of course, there was discussion about integrating new technologies, um, which will be ongoing. Um, <clears throat> final comment, as, as Tom mentioned, this is a prologue. I envision having a series of discussions, maybe indefinitely, about what innovation means in the solar industry. So um, thank you so much for joining us and for your great questions. And I look forward to seeing you um, next time. Mm -hmm.